listeners. Um, it's the bonus podcast for Flash Forward. You know that already because you've started playing this episode and you probably saw the description. Um, this is for the episode from this week called The Sleeping Lion, um, all about sort of what would happen if China took over sort of the global dominant spot in the U.S. or in the world. Um Okay, so on today's little bonus episode, you're going to hear a couple of things. You're going to hear a little bit of stuff that I cut from the episode, mostly around the Hong Kong protests, kind of an explainer on what's going on there. Um, And then you will also hear a little bit about why this episode was super challenging for me in like a whole bunch of different ways. Um, You will also hear a tiny bit about next week's episode, uh, which is going to be the last episode of this season slash this year. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about the the break um, and what I'm thinking about for next year. And then, of course, at the end, always there is a secret. Oh, a quick note. Uh, We are going to discuss very, very briefly mention a murder case in this bonus podcast. So if you don't want to hear about that, uh, skip to like... Let's say about five minutes into this bonus episode. Okay. So let's begin with the stuff that I cut out of this episode, which, like I said, was mostly around the recent Hong Kong protests, the ongoing Hong Kong Hong Kong protests. Um, I'm sure you've heard about these. They have been in the news. Um, but perhaps you might not know exactly what the protests are about. I know that for a while when they first started and then sort of when they ramped up, I was a little bit confused about what exactly was being protested or like sort of what exactly the protesters sort of... Um, represented and wanted. So um, I asked Meredith Oyen, who you heard on the episode, to help explain it to everybody. And so here is what she said. Yeah, the the super short version um, is that the protests in Hong Kong began in June with this extradition case. This is a Hong Kong guy went to Taiwan with his Taiwanese girlfriend. He killed her. She was pregnant, stuffed her in a suitcase. He fled back to Hong Kong. And um, and that became um, the excuse for the leadership in Hong Kong, Carrie Lam and, and the leadership, some of the leadership that's been um, um, supported by Beijing to put forth this extradition bill. Um, it's not the only reason the extradition bill exists. They wanted this extradition bill for quite a while. Um, so that just became sort of an excuse to try and slide it in. And the idea with the extradition bill is just that um, people commit crimes, they can be extradited to another country. So, so another country could extradite somebody who commits a crime. The bigger problem with it is, is the reason Beijing wants it is then they can um, arrest people and disappear them into mainland China. And so political dissidents would be um, easier to get access to. And so they put forth this bill. They didn't use the standard way of putting forth the bill. It's something that nobody um, that was that was had a lot of opposition in Hong Kong. And so there was a whole series of protests in June against the bill. Um, And the first mass protests were peaceful, but the police responded to some of them with um, tear gas, rubber bullets, things like that. And so then the protests grew and took on sort of a larger meaning of being um, against any kind of police brutality um, to withdraw the bill, um, but also um, get get a more democratic electoral system in Hong Kong because so many of the candidates are handpicked by Beijing and so they want a more um native democratic system. And then this 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 continued on until uh Carrie Lam finally withdrew the extradition bill in September. But at that point, because they they'd already asked for a number of other things, including, you know, 
checks on the police, for all the people who've been arrested in the protests to be released, for them to be um, reclassed, not as a riot, but as, as a protest, because if you riot, that's another, like another level of, of um, punishment within the, within the legal system. And so, and then of course, a more, a more uh, robust democracy. Um, and so all of those things became part of the protest. And so the protests continued even after Carrie Lam withdrew the extradition bill. And so, and now they've just been, been growing. Um, there's been a lot of questions about the extent to which the public supports them. Is it a small proportion of the Hong Kong population that's protesting? Um, and then last week there were, um, local district council elections, um, that, were overwhelmingly run, uh, won by people who are not connected with Beijing. And that suggests that there's sort of widespread support for the, the protest. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough in the city because they're now in an economic recession. They're, they rely a lot on tourism, which is, which is going away. Um, and so it's, you know, six months on and we'll see what happens. So that's just kind of a primer on this. There's lots of stuff you can read about the Hong Kong protests, um, and it's sort of an ever-changing situation. I've been watching it really closely, in part because there's also a really interesting narrative here around surveillance and technology. Um, One narrative that pops up a lot when you talk about China and technology is this idea that people in China don't really value privacy the way that people in the West and particularly in the United States do. Um, There isn't sort of this expectation of privacy among citizens. Um, And that sort of is interesting in the context of the Hong Kong protests because we're seeing actually a lot of the protesters push back against some of the privacy-violating technology out there like facial recognition cameras or um, cops trying to kind of use their phones, use sort of face ID on their phones to open up their phones to be able to get access to who they've been talking to to kind of figure out who the protesters are. And so I think there's a really interesting story there about the sort of – more mainstream narrative that like, oh, people in China don't really care about surveillance. They don't really care about um, being watched. They don't really care about any of that stuff. Um, In contrast to sort of the ways that the protesters in Hong Kong kind of are reacting to some of these technologies. And I think that's super interesting. So that's kind of part of why I've been following the story there, along with obviously it has like global significance for not just China, but sort of for the world and thinking about um, the future of that region. So um, that's just a little primer for Meredith about that. But again, like I recommend reading up about it if you want. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes for more stuff about what's going on there. Um, okay, so this episode, I have to say, was um, really hard <laughs> for me. Uh, it's already a topic that is outside of my comfort zone. Um, you know, politics is not something that I generally talk about on the show. We do it sometimes, right? We do a lot of stuff on the show that is sort of political and that talks about politics, but global politics and particularly politics, um, around China is not something I actually know a ton about or knew a ton about before I started working on this episode. Um, and so I was really worried about, getting it wrong, and also sort of um, falling into some sort of trap by not knowing enough. Um, You know, I spent a lot of hours in the research phase for this episode, sort of going down these rabbit holes, like trying to figure out the, you know, these various think tanks that I was reading blog posts and papers, policy papers from, like, who are these think tanks? Were they actually like secretly evil? You know, a lot of think tanks have like very generic sounding names, but are actually like super conservative or super liberal or whatever it is. And I don't always know who's who, you know, the Heritage Foundation is probably the classic example. Um, I mean, they're like climate deniers. They deny that climate change is a thing. That one I knew, of course, but there are just so many 
think tanks, and they have these names like Capital Research Center and the National Center for Policy Analysis. And that one's founded by the Koch brothers, so like not my favorite people in the world. Um, and even if a given organization is not like obviously evil, uh, it's still important to know what their slant is so that you can kind of understand, you know, what how to read the stuff they're putting out. Um, and since, you know, policy is not my area of expertise, I wound up sort of spending so much time digging into like who was on the boards of these organizations and just trying to like make sure that I understood who they were before kind of taking their line about China sort of at face value. Um, obviously, along with like drowning in think tanks, the history of China is just really long and complicated, um, like the history of any nation, but particularly, you know, China has a super long and, um, you know, very well documented history. Um, and there was just sort of no way that I was going to, A, be able to understand it all for myself, but also B, cover it in the episode. Um, but I did kind of want to feel like I had some handle on like what we were talking about um, and when things happened and sort of a little bit of like the top level history. So I wound up reading two books um, about sort of the history and then like modern history of China. One of them is called China, Wealth and Power, China's Long March to the 21st Century. And that one's by um, John Delery and Orville Schell. And I also read this book called Country Driving by Peter Hessler, which is much more about like modern China. Um, they, I read two other books for this, along with the, the books that we talked about because they were written by the guests on the show. I try to read those books too because, you know, it's always respectful to read the books that the guests are, you know, wrote and then I'm asking them about. But along with those, I also read these other two books. Um, one of them is called The 100-Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower by Michael Pillsbury. And another book called China in 2020, A New Type of Superpower by Hu Angang, whose name I might not be pronouncing correctly. Um, so those last two are like controversial books on either side. So one of them, um, the one by Pillsbury, is very much like American nationalist, like we have to be in control. America is the greatest. And the other book by Hu Angang um, is very much on the other side, like very Chinese nationalist. Um, and so neither of them should be sort of taken, I think, at face value. But I did kind of want to understand like where the two sides were. So... Um, I read those as well. So I did a lot of research and reading um, for this episode, more so than for some of the other episodes where I have a little bit more like just sort of background knowledge from reporting on this stuff for a long time. Um, you may notice that a lot of the authors of those books that I just named um, have very Western sounding names. And this is actually another challenge I had um, for this episode. Um, it's always hard no matter what the topic is to get Chinese experts on the show. Um, I often will email people who work at Chinese universities about various technology things or science stuff and I almost never get a response and I think this is a common thing um, for all reporters and it's it's because you know China is very specific about how their researchers are allowed to and to talk to the West and who they're allowed to talk to and what they're allowed to say. So that's not that surprising to me um, and I sort of knew that um, the folks that the folks that were in China that would talk to me about this particular topic would probably be like hyper nationalist Chinese folks who I, I don't know that I would necessarily want to have on the show. Um, and um, so that that part wasn't that surprising. But even in the US, um, history departments are still pretty dominated by white scholars. Um, and I was trying to find folks who were of Chinese descent to be able to talk about stuff on this episode. Um, because I just like, I don't know, I'm not going to like put out an entire episode about a future in which China 
is the dominant power and like only have white experts on that episode. That just did not feel like the correct thing to do. Um, but it was actually kind of hard to find folks who were free, you know, who had the time um, to talk about this. So that was also an interesting challenge. I wound up doing interviews um, like on Thanksgiving weekend. And I really appreciate the folks who agreed to do interviews on Thanksgiving weekend <laughs> to kind of put the episode together. Um, and on top of all of those things that were challenging for this episode, um, I also had like a catastrophic technical failure. So I use this program called Pro Tools to edit Flash Forward. It's an audio editing software. And one of the annoying things about Pro Tools, um, among many, is that in order to use Pro Tools, you actually have to have a physical key that basically says like, yes, I have a license to be able to run this software and I'm not like pirating it or whatever. And the key is just this little USB that you plug into your computer. And it's like a well-known thing among audio people that like you will lose that USB at like the most inopportune time. Um, and of course, that is what happened. I lost the USB um, somewhere on a, either at the Portland airport or on the plane coming home from Thanksgiving in Portland or whatever. I don't know. I learned later that I have this I have this sweatshirt that has these inside pockets that I thought were just like regular inside pockets, but they both have holes in the bottom, like not big holes, but like built in small holes in the bottom, which I don't understand. And so I'm guessing that it fell out um, of that pocket. And it is was, was one of those things where like, you know, when you put something somewhere and you're like, don't forget that this is here or like, don't forget to like put this away because you're going to forget and you're going to lose it. I put the USB key in my pocket, in that inside pocket. And I went to the bathroom at the airport. And I, as I was putting it into my pocket, I was like, all right, Rose, you know that this is not a great place for this. Like, remember when you get back to your seat, like put it in the zipped up pocket that you always keep it in so that you remember because it has a zipper so it won't fall out. And of course I forgot to do that. And of course I lost it. So without that, that means that you can't use the software, which means I was unable to actually like access any of the work I had done on the episode. And that was on Monday the day before the episode was supposed to go up. And I was already kind of behind on production because of all of the stuff I told you before about like all the book book reading and, you know, last minute interviews. Um, so that was uh, very bad. And it's always great when the support people you talk to are like, wow, I've never seen this before. So that was fun. Anyway, I did finally get back into the session and was able to finish it. Um, and so you may have noticed that the episode went out later than it normally does. Normally I schedule them for midnight my time on West Coast U.S. time, midnight on Monday, you know, early Tuesday morning. But it's fine. You know what? It got done and I it happened. The episode happened. Um, and in some ways I'm amazed that I actually finished it and didn't just like give up and collapse and say like, sorry, there's no episode this week. I'm canceling this episode. Um, because yeah, this was, it was a really tough episode. And like even now, the same week, only a couple days later, when I think about the episode, there are definitely things I probably, I wish I could kind of do again or I would do differently. Um, I had a hard time balancing being realistic about how bad some of the human rights violations are in China right now. Um, which are really, really bad, um, while also kind of being realistic about the fact that a lot of the Western hand-wringing about China taking over is basically like xenophobia, sinophobia, racism. Yeah, so trying to balance those two things was really hard, um, and I don't know that I necessarily 
got it quite right, but I did think about it a lot. And hopefully the episode sort of introduced you to some concepts that you maybe hadn't heard of before or maybe didn't know about or some of these questions you hadn't thought about before. So um, at least hopefully it's a starting point. And if you do want to learn more, um, there are links in the show notes for the episode to a bunch of resources um, that I recommend and you can kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, so that's like a long-winded little behind the scenes about this episode and sort of like why it was not my favorite episode to do. Um, but I am glad that it got done. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. So what else? This is a sec, that was the, the, this episode about China was the second to last episode of the year. So next week is the last episode of the year. Um, and there will be a break after that, probably for a couple months. And I'll be back in like March or April, as always, with new episodes. Um, but I will say another thing that I am thinking about um, in this break that I'll be spending some time thinking about on this break is Patreon and sort of making sure that the offerings for patrons are sort of clear and valuable and interesting and working for everybody. So there are a couple of changes I'm thinking about making. For next year, um, right now this page is set up to be per episode, so people donate per episode as opposed to per month. Um, I and mean, that's my version. The per episode version is pretty uncommon. Most patrons, most Patreon pages are monthly. And so I've been thinking about switching, and I'm kind of crunching the numbers to figure out if I could do that and if it would be better to switch um, over. And so basically what would happen there is that your donation – would uh, switch over to monthly. So you wouldn't have to do anything, but your donation would sort of be a monthly donation as opposed to an episode-based donation. Um, so I'm thinking about that. Um, I've also mentioned, I think before on this podcast, that I get absolutely no data from Patreon about whether or not anyone listens to this podcast, <laughs> this bonus podcast at least. Um, and I know that the sign-up process for these bonus episodes is not the smoothest or like the most intuitive, right? You have to copy and paste the link into your player and it's sort of confusing and clunky. Obviously, if you are listening to this, you've probably figured that out. But I suspect that a lot of people don't actually get there because I mean, even I, even me, like trying to do it and I'm like a podcasting professional. This is like in theory my job. Um, I had some trouble with mine as well when I was trying to test it out. So um, today, actually, I talked to another company that just does bonus audio, which basically, um, so it would mean being able to put out two different things. Um, one would be an ad free episode. So you get to hear the episode with no ads and two would be these bonus podcasts in a way that would be a lot easier for you to access. Um, but it would mean transitioning you folks to a different payment system. So it wouldn't be Patreon. Um, and I know that like switching, is really annoying. Like having to switch to a new system is super annoying for everybody, myself included. So it's one of those things where I'm trying to balance like what would make it easier on the whole for this to work, for these bonus episodes to work, and what would be annoying for like just for users to have to deal with. So I talked to this company this morning and we came up with some ideas for how to make it seamless or make it like as painless as possible. Um, the challenge in figuring out like whether to do this or not is that again, like I said, I don't get any data about whether or not people listen to this podcast. So um, I actually can't, I don't know what percent of people who are in like the $5 and up tiers of all of you, I have no idea what percent of you like listen to this and download it. Um, and obviously some people donate at these tiers like without caring about the bonus stuff. Like they all donate and be like, I don't need to be in the book club. I don't need to listen to the podcast. I just want to give you money every episode, which is awesome. And, you know, thank you. Um, and so I, like trying to figure out who is who and, and who's actually using these rewards and making sure that I'm like spending 
time wisely um, is really challenging given that I have zero data from Patreon about them, about these rewards. Um, so I have talked to Patreon about this and they're aware that this is something that is a pain point for I think a lot of creators. Obviously it's not just me. And I've been told that they're doing something to maybe give us data on some of these bonus podcasts. Um, but right now I don't actually have that. So if you have opinions about this bonus podcast and sort of like why you're subscribed and how you're subscribed and whether you would hate switching over or whether you wouldn't mind switching over to a different system, um, please let me know. Like you can comment um, on this post for this bonus podcast. You can send me an email. I'm info at flashforwardpod.com. Um, I would just love to know what you think. Um, and I know like, you know, some of you might be like, I don't care. I'm happy to do another system. I'm not wedded to Patreon. I know some of you probably donate to other patrons or Patreon creators. So like, it's nice to have everything in one place. Um, so yeah, so I'm just thinking through all this stuff and trying to figure out what's the best for the show, figure out what's the best for you all. Um, yeah, it's all just like hard to balance. So next week, I'm actually going to run a couple of different polls on the Patreon page for all patrons that kind of ask some of these questions and these potential changes. So do please be on the lookout for those. I'd love to know your opinion. I know that I cannot please every single person, um, but I do kind of like to know what people want. Sometimes people, when I do these polls, will be like, whatever you want, Rose. And I like, that's very kind. And I love that you are so supportive. But I also like want to make sure that I'm sort of hearing what people are interested in, what would be like annoying for them, just so I can kind of try to avoid like the obvious mistakes <laughs> that would make people mad. Because um, again, like the show really is only here because you helped me make it. So yeah. Okay. That is it for this bonus podcast, except for The Secret, which I'll tell you in a second. Um, yes, that's everything. Sorry. I was trying to remember if I had forgotten something. Um, no, that's it. Okay. So here's The Secret. Um, so my favorite drink like alcoholic beverage of all time is the Bloody Mary. Um, I know that some people think that Bloody Marys are disgusting, but to me, they're like the perfect drink. They're like salty and savory and like a little bit smoky if you do it right. Um, and that to me is just like everything you want in a beverage. Um, I don't like sweet drinks. I don't like those. Like I don't like the candy kind of like most tiki drinks. I don't like, I just like love that like salty salt bomb savory thing of the Bloody Mary. Um, and I know that most people think of them as like a brunch drink, but I am committed to the Bloody Mary being like an all day, every day, anytime, not, not all day, every day. Don't drink that much, but like you can drink it anytime. Um, and I was thinking that one of the things that I might want to do on my break between the sort of this season of Flash Forward and next season of Flash Forward, I have this little list of like hobby type things that I want to try to do on the break. And one of them now is that I want to see if I can perfect my own version of like a fancy Bloody Mary cocktail. Um, I have a bunch of ideas. I think maybe adding like some MSG into it. Um, celery, which is the best soda and giving it like a little bit of a like bubbly feature. Um, I have a plan to make some like horseradish infused mezcal to potentially go in it. I have a whole list of little things to try. Um, and so hopefully by February, I will have perfected this totally ridiculous drink that I have in my mind. And somehow it will make me very rich, obviously, uh, to do this. Um, or I'll just have them for myself to savor. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's one of my plans for my little break. So when we come, when the show comes back and there's an, a bonus podcast again, um, at in ne the next year, I will let you know how the Bloody Mary quest has gone. Um, okay. I will uh, be in your ear holes next week. Bye.